Thanks, guys. Good morning once again. I'm excited about opening God's Word this morning. I think it's appropriate for us to take time to assess where we've been in the year past and where we're headed in the year to come. I think it's um, important for us to acknowledge honestly what we endured over the past several months. Um, I think sometimes in the church we can feel pressure to feel like we've got it all together or that we're always happy because Jesus is in our hearts, right? Has anyone ever felt kind of torn in that place where it's like, uh, I'm supposed to act like I have the victory, right? I'm supposed to feel like I'm walking on the water, you know, like, you know, just really stepping over the, the valleys, stepping over the hard places. But um, I think if we read scripture, we find that that's not the experience of uh, our, our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. It's not the experience of those who were faithful in the Old Testament, right? I think a good place for us to start as we head into this new year is uh, a place of honesty, a place of acknowledgement of what happened to us, what we've been through, and yes, how God met us in those, those lowest of low places, those darkest of dark times. I think that'll be a good use of our time this morning. Uh, this morning, uh, I've called this message, uh, Don't Waste Your Pain. Don't Waste Your Pain. And uh, heads up, it may be a hard message to teach, so I'll hide behind my glasses. <laughs> um, I read a lot of books. Anyone with me? A lot of uh, bibliophiles here? I read a lot of books. Um, I, I read them in print, but thanks be to the Lord, there is the, the uh, Hoopla app and the Libby app from the library. I am tearing it up on audiobooks. Holy smokes, last year I just listened to dozens of books, and it's been great because I run a lot. I spend hours each week running so I can listen to books. It's been a real uh, discovery. It's really enriched my life. Uh, problem is, I often have multiple books going at the same time. Anyone else have that? Anyone have that problem? Frustrating, right? Uh, I have multiple books in progress at the same time, uh, and I'm sometimes making painfully slow progress on any of them, all of them, you know, because I'm like, I have this obligation, this allegiance to each of the books, so I feel like I have to cycle through, and I make meaning, uh, I struggle to make meaningful progress in any one of them at any given time. Um, I start many books, and then I have this sense of loyalty to that book. I have this sense of guilt and obligation. I feel like I'm, I, I'm offending the book if I quit without finishing it. Or if I set it aside and said, you know what, I'll come back to you later. I feel like I'm breaking uh, fellowship with the book. I, am, I, am I anthropomorphizing a book here? Is this a problem? But you do too. You don't do this. Okay. Anyone else feel guilty about finishing a, not finishing a book? Okay. Thank you. I see that. Uh, currently... Currently, I have four books going. I have four books in progress. I brought one to show you just because it's a cool-looking book. It's called Christ and Calamity, uh, Grace and Gratitude in the Darkest Valley by Harold Zenkbeel, which he'll uh, show up in my sermon here in a bit. But good book. Started reading that this week. I'm reading a book called When Kingfishers Catch Fire by Eugene Peterson, a collection of his sermons. I'm still working through St. Augustine's Confessions, and uh, I also started dabbling in the Apocrypha. Why not, you know? Um, <laughs> This, in addition to my annual uh, reading and listening through the scriptures each year. 
Now, a hazard in reading too many books at the same time is that sometimes you come across a profound thought. You come across a, a, a profound insight, and then later you can't remember in which book you read it. And so you're flipping fur furiously through the pages trying to find this, this, this idea, this thought, this passage, and you just can't find it. This reality really came home to roost for me in preparing for this message. I came across something beautiful and startling, and I think it was in Eugene Peterson's book. But alas, I could not find exactly where it was. So I'm just giving you kind of the in-essence version of what he talked about, I think. Okay, it's kind of the dance remix I'm putting together for you, based on what I read in one of the books I'm currently reading. Anyway, essentially, ostensibly, Eugene Peterson pointed out that our religious in our religious imagination, we uh, anticipate gods who sit on mountaintops and wait for us. You understand what I'm saying here? In our religious mind, the gods that we form in our religious imagination, they are always sitting on the mountaintop, and they're waiting for us to strive, to struggle, and to suffer enough to find them. These are the kind of gods we create in our religious imagination. They wait for us to ascend the heights. They wait for us to do the work in finding them. And if we do the right things, if we behave in the prescribed ways, we scale step by step up the mountain until we reach that hallowed space where that God dwells. I don't have to explain this very uh, in depth because we get it. We know, we know that we must suffer if we are to find God. Through moral behavior, through religious zeal, up we go, up and up toward our gods. But then, as a Christian, we encounter the gospel. We come to the gospel, the story of Jesus coming to save the world, and we are surprised. We're flabbergasted. We're caught off guard. And we're a bit out of sorts. Strangely, we struggle with the gospel. Which is good news. I don't think anyone would deny that it's good news. Yet we struggle with that, don't we? Has anyone here ever struggled with receiving grace from God? Receiving that God made a way for us to come back to Him without us suffering? without us bleeding, without us struggling up the mountain. We struggle with this because it runs right up against our religious imagination. The gospel comes and it surprises us. We find that God was not content to let us climb the mountain to find Him. Could He have done that? <laughs> Absolutely. But He was not content to wait and let us climb the mountain to find Him. In fact, He wouldn't allow us to climb the mountain and find him. In fact, he gives strict prohibition. Do not set foot on the mountain of God. He will not let us climb the mountain. He will not allow us to climb the mountain. Uh, nor are we able to ascend it in our own strength, be it Mount Sinai, be it Mount Carmel, be it Golgotha, or be it the Mount of Olives. None of us are worthy to set foot on the mountain of God. None of us are worthy. None of us have what it takes. None of us have uh, clean hearts, clean hands. None of us can ascend the hill of the Lord. 
This is what we are reminded of when, when, when God calls, uh, when, when Israel comes to Sinai and God says, I will meet you there. Moses, you come up, but no one else, not even the priests, not even the cattle, not even the sheep, no one sets foot on the mountain or surely they will die. Only Moses will come up. And that creates a tension. We cannot climb the mountain of God. Likewise, none of us can reach up to God. And why is this? Because of our sin. Because of our rebellion. Because that which has broken our relationship with the one who made us. Because of our sin, none of us can reach out and find God. This is precisely why God lifted up Jesus. This is precisely why Jesus was lifted up on the cross and why he ascended back to the Father in order to mediate for us and to do for us what we cannot do for ourselves. This is that powerful image of Jesus being lifted up on the cross between heaven and earth to mediate, lifted up toward God to do that which we could not do. This is why he ascends back to the Father to affect that which we cannot do on our own. I mean, this goes all the way back to the Old Testament. This isn't in my notes, but hold on. When Jacob, sleeping by the brook with a rock for his pillow, he sees a vision of what? Angels ascending and descending on a stairway between heaven and the earth, as a stairway as one like the Son of Man. That this stairway between heaven and earth is described as a, like the Son of Man. That Jesus comes and He makes that connection that we can't make on our own as He is lifted up on the cross and in the ascension. It is always God who comes down to meet us. It is always God who comes down the mountain to meet us. And it is always Jesus who goes up the mountain to meet Him on our behalf. It's always Jesus who is lifted up to meet God on our behalf. Now, further still, further still, we find that God didn't just come down the mountain to us. In fact, Jesus comes and absorbs. He absorbs all of our sin. He takes upon himself all of the world's evil and with it descends even further into the depths of death and hell. This is what happens uh, upon his death on the cross. He's taken all of that evil, all of that sin upon himself, and he has descended even further into the deepest of depths, into death and into hell, in order to destroy death from the inside. In order to achieve his master plan to de defeat death from the inside and to set us free. I love the perplexing surprise of the gospel. I love it that it isn't just A plus B equals C. It's one plus two equals a thousand. <laughs> one plus two equals a million. There's this like math that just is so unexpected here. That Jesus would come not just to save us, but to destroy that which destroys us. To destroy death from the inside and to set us free. I love it. I love the surprise of the good news of how God has rescued and redeemed His people. He has come and He has done it not from the top down, but from the bottom up. He came and accomplished His will from the bottom up through Jesus. From the deepest darkness, from the lowest valley, God has descended 
entered in and brought forth to us life and victory. I love how N.T. Wright explains this in his book called Evil and the Justice of God. He says, Jesus suffers the full consequence of evil. Jesus suffers the full consequences of evil, evil from the political, social, cultural, personal, moral, religious, and spiritual angles all rolled into one. Evil in the downward spiral, hurtling toward the pit of destruction and despair. And he does so precisely as the act of redemption, of taking that downward fall and exhausting it, so that there may be new creation, new covenant, forgiveness, freedom, and hope. In his great descent, the word that we use in theology is condescension. He, can, he condescends down from heaven, from the place of glory, to meet with us. And then He takes all of our junk, all of our brokenness and our sin into Himself and descends into the darkest of dark, deepest of deep, and destroys death and sin. So what do we do? How do we respond? How must we then respond to that which Jesus did on our behalf? Do we climb the mountain to find Him? No, on the contrary, we descend to find Him. We descend to find Jesus. We fall downward to meet Him at the lowest point. We fail and we flail our way down into His arms. We tumble and tumble down into His grace. If anyone's seen the movie Black Sheep with Chris Farley, there's this scene where he... Uh, is like looking at the mountains and he slips and he just starts falling down this hillside and it just seems to never end. He's like tumbling and falling and he finally grabs onto a little, little uh, bush sticking in the ground. He's like, oh, thank you, bush. Please don't break loose. Don't break. Hold me. And of course, it, it breaks loose and he continues cartwheeling down the hillside. That's the picture of how we find Jesus. We descend to find Him. We fall down into His arms. In all of our helplessness, in all of our weakness, we cartwheel and skid our way downward into the valley where we might meet Christ, as painful as it may be, as cumbersome and uncomfortable as it is to accept. It is only when you give up on your ability that you can receive Christ. It is only when you have fallen all the way down do you truly encounter the risen Christ? There's a cheesy saying that says, God's address is at the end of our rope. This was on a poster somewhere I saw. It might have had a kitten hanging from a rope like, like those posters are. But God's address is at the end of our rope. Is that cheesy? Oh, yeah. But is it true? Oh, yeah. God's address is at the end of ourself. We will find God when we come to the end of ourselves, of our ability, of our strength, of our, 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 our capacity to figure it out on our own, once we reach the bottom of the valley, there we will find Christ. This idea shouldn't come as a surprise, really, for anyone who's familiar with Scripture. This shouldn't come as a surprise because all throughout the Bible, God is the one descending. God is the one descending to find us. He is the one entering into the depths to save us. This seems to be what He does. Think about it, from the Tower of Babel from, to Egyptian slavery. All through the Psalms, 
to the incarnation, to the crucifixion, God repeatedly finds his people at their lowest point. And this is reflected most powerfully and I would say beautifully in the Psalms. I'm thankful for the Psalms because it gives voice to that which we sometimes painfully discover in our own experience of faith. One of the Songs of Ascent, which is a songbook in the middle of the Psalms that the, the pilgrims to Jerusalem would sing to remind them of God's faithfulness throughout their history. One of the Songs of Ascent, Psalm 130, paints a familiar picture for all of us who have encountered God and experienced His salvation. If you, can, if you want to turn in your Bible or scroll there on your phone, we're looking at Psalm 130, where it says, Out of the depths... I cry to you, Lord. From the depths of despair, O Lord, I call for your help. Hear my cry, O Lord. Pay attention to my prayer. Lord, if you kept a record of our sins, who, O Lord, could ever survive? But you offer forgiveness that we might learn to fear you. I am counting on the Lord. Yes, I am counting on Him. I have put my hope in His Word. I long for the Lord more than centuries long for the dawn. Yes, more than centuries long for the dawn. O oh, Israel, hope in the Lord. For with the Lord there is unfailing love. His redemption overflows. He Himself will redeem Israel from every kind of sin. As you read this psalm, how is it that you hear your voice? in the voice of the psalmist. Have you ever found these words on your lips? Out of the depths I cry to you, Lord. Help me. I don't know what to do. Hear my cry. God, please, if you've ever paid attention to my prayer, pay attention to this prayer. I am counting on the Lord. Yes, I'm counting on you. I put my hope in you. I long for you. When you consider the depths and what you've known of the depths, where does your mind go? What memories flood your mind when you think about those depths and the times that you've spent there? What do you recall? It's the shared experience among the faithful to find themselves in the depths and then to cry out to God. It is not a failure of faith to be in a place where you're having to cry out to God. This seems to be part of the path. We find ourselves in the depths and something in our heart says, I need to cry out. I need help. I need that which only God can do for me. We cry out from the depths. We've all been in situations in which we are overcome with fear. Not just a little unsettled, not a little bit nervous, but actually like a 2,000-foot wave of the ocean crashing over you, overwhelmed. Overwhelmed with fear. Not sure you'll ever be able to stand back up. Overwhelmed with fear. Beset by uncertainty, by pain, by doubt, by frustration. And there's nothing we can do about it. So what do we do? What do we do in those kinds of situations but cry out to God? Have you truly been at the end of your rope before? At the end of yourself where all you had was enough strength to say, Help me. Help God. Nothing else is working. All my plans have fallen apart. 
I am empty. I am broken. And I have no hope but in you. And here's the thing. Here's the solace. We cry out to God from the depths, and what happens? God hears us. His word tells us in so many different places and ways, when we cry out to God, His ear is toward us and He hears us. He hears our cries. Look at Psalm 34. Psalm 34, verses 17 through 22. The Lord hears His people when they call to Him for help. Let that sink in. The Lord hears His people when they call to Him for help. He rescues them from all their troubles. The Lord is close to the brokenhearted. He rescues those whose spirits are crushed. The righteous person faces many troubles, but the Lord comes to the rescue each time. For the Lord protects the bones of the righteous. Not one of them is broken. Calamity will surely overtake the wicked, and those who hate the righteous will be punished. But the Lord will redeem those who serve Him. No one who takes refuge in Him will be condemned. Condemned. Were you brokenhearted? Was your spirit crushed? Where was God when you were so scared? Where did you discover God to be when you were so scared? When you were in such pain? Be assured, nothing we endure. Nothing we encounter catches God off guard, though it may seem that it's caught Him off guard and He's nowhere to be found. Nothing that happens to us catches God off guard. He knows how frequently we sojourn through the valley of death. We frequent the valley of death. And He is attentive to our cries, and He hears us. His, he His ear is attentive to our cries. His hand is ready to reach out and to rescue us. Like a mother hearing her child uh, crying in the middle of a crowded nursery, God's ear is tuned to the cries of His children. In the middle of all the noise of our world, all of the anguish, all the despair, all the cries for help, God's ear is tuned to His children, and He knows your voice. He knows your heart. And in the midst of the crowd, He can hear it when you cry, and He just... One of my kids is calling me. One of my kids is in trouble. His ear is tuned. His heart is toward those who cry out to Him. He does... How does that make you feel? That God hears your cry? That God responds, that God turns His head, He turns His ear when you cry out to Him, and He leans towards you to help? I doubt that sometimes. I struggle with that sometimes. This is why it's all the more important to retreat to the Word, to be reminded that God in His glory, God in heaven, when I in my misery cry out to Him, His ear is turned toward me, His heart is toward me, and He responds. Out of the depths I cried to you, and you heard my cry. Maybe this is a shift in your thinking. Maybe this is a shift in our thinking about God, but it is a very, very important one. Why am I talking about such a grim and dour topic at the beginning of a brand new year? I mean, it's only the second Sunday of 2021. Come on, Adam, can't you be a little more upbeat? <laughs> well... <laughs> There's more Sundays. I'll get to that. Why am I focusing on this right here and right now? Because 2020 was pretty bad. 
I know it wasn't bad for all of us, and there were, up, there, were, there were good things that came from it, but overall, and I'm speaking for myself, so forgive me some projection here, 2020 was pretty bad. It was really hard for many of us for a lot of different reasons. Personally, this past year had some of the deepest valleys and the most awful, painful descents of my entire life. The amount of fear, of uncertainty, and anxiety was quite clearly overwhelming at times. Times where I felt more than I've ever felt before. I had nowhere else to turn but, but to God. There were distinctly awful moments when I could do nothing, do nothing but cry out to God, cling to Him in those dark and terrible end-of-my-rope moments in those dark and terrible end-of-my-rope places. And my friends hear me say, as a testimony, God is faithful. God is faithful. He was faithful. He is faithful. And He will be faithful. My God has heard my cry. He has reached down into the depths to rescue me. He came to me through His Spirit and through godly friends just like you to deliver me and to comfort and restore me to comfort and restore us. And I'm thankful for that. How does God hear your cry and how does He respond? Oftentimes it's been through you. And I thank you for that. As garbage of a year 2020 turned out to be, I am intentional about gathering up all those times spent in the valley. I want to collect all of the pain, all the experiences of those times in the valley, and I want to carry them with me into 2021 and see them transformed into gladness, into thanksgiving, and into celebration of God's faithfulness. I believe that that's the work He wants to accomplish in me, in my wife, in my kids, my family. We want to take all those things, carry them with us into 2021, and see them transformed into cause for celebration. God is good to us. And sometimes, hear me, sometimes we only discover just how good God is when things have become so very, very bad. Only then do we discover the true depth of His goodness. Maybe we only really know God's care for us. Maybe we only truly know His abiding presence with us when everything around us is black and we are completely hopeless and helpless. Maybe then we can find some thankfulness. Just a, a small bit of thankfulness that says, God, thank you for bringing me so low. Because here I found you. Here I was stripped bare of all these other things on which I rely. And I found you. And you were enough. Thank you. May we all put 2020 to good use in 2021. May we all do that. And may none of us waste our pain. Don't waste your pain. All that you went through last year, all that you've been through in your life, can and will and is being used by God. 2020 was Crapville. That's a technical term. But 2020 was Crapville. If there was a sign on the outskirts of 2020, it's like, welcome to Crapville. <laughs> but as bad as it was, it presents, 
unique opportunities for growth and yes gladness gladness may we grow to the point where we rejoice over the time spent tumbling downward and downward into God's arms may we treasure that may we treasure our experiences of falling down falling down into Jesus's care May we be like the Israelites returning to Jerusalem after decades of Babylonian exile and captivity. May we, too, be like those who dream, and may our mouths be filled with joy. Look at uh, Psalm 126, and this will, we'll, we'll finish up with this. Psalm 126, this is after the Israelites are released from captivity. Here again, a song of ascent. When the Lord brought back his exiles to Jerusalem, it was like a dream. It was like a dream. Other translations say, we were like men who dreamed. For ages, we were unable to dream. Our minds were so ca held captive that we were set free, and we were like men who were able to dream again. People who were able to dream again. When the Lord brought back his exiles to Jerusalem, it was like a dream. We were filled with laughter, and we sang for joy, and the other nations said, What amazing things the Lord has done for them. Yes, the Lord has done amazing things for us. What joy. Restore our fortunes, Lord. As streams renew the desert, those who plant in tears will harvest with shouts of joy. They weep as they go to plant their seed, but they sing as they return with the harvest. They weep as they go to plant their seed. Down, down, deep into the earth. But they sing as they return with the harvest. Falling down into Babylonian captivity was real, and it mattered. Just because Israelite was set, the Israelites were set free and they returned to Jerusalem, they didn't just like scrub that memory from their, from their, uh, uh, their history. They didn't say, oh, well, that didn't matter. That's behind us. Forget not, or, uh, you know, uh, forget, forgive and forget or whatever. You know, it's in the past. We don't have to worry about that anymore. No, Babylonian captivity was real. And it mattered. It was a stark and a severe low point in the life of God's people. But here's the thing. That terrible experience did not define Israel. Their time in captivity, in exile, it did not define Israel any more than their time in Egypt defined them. She grew from that place, having seen God deliver them once again. That's what defined them. Likewise, what we went through last year, and what the way things are shaping up, we may go through again this year, it doesn't define us. It doesn't shape us. It, does, it, it is not more powerful than our God. Hear me say that. Nothing we've endured in the year past or we will endure this year is more powerful than God. Although it hurts, although it felt super unfair, it does not get the last word. Nothing that's happened to you, nothing you've endured, gets the last word. All the more grace abounds for those who fall into Jesus' arms. And I love it. That's what we do. That's what we're called to do. That's our faithful response, is to fall into Jesus' arms. I'd like to read you one quote from Christ and Calamity, this book I've been reading by Harold Sinkbeil. When calamity strikes, 
you can count on God. Not because you feel close to Him, but because He remains close to you. He remains close to you in His Word for Jesus' sake. In the midst of the uncertainties of your life, you needn't wonder about His feelings or His attitude toward you. Though your faith may fluctuate, His promises never waver. All the promises of God find their yes in Christ Jesus, as we read in 2 Corinthians 1.20. In life's tight spots, focus not on your faith, but on God's faithfulness. I love this shift. When you're so low, it's not about you getting it right in your faith. Don't focus in those tight spots. Don't focus on your faith, but on God's faithfulness. Look not at your promises you've made to Him, but His loving promises to you in His Son. Rest assured, those promises include your name. Those promises, they include your name. They include you. You are included in all the promises made to us through Christ Jesus. So, may our eyes be bright as we begin to dream again. May our mouths be filled with joy and with laughter this year because God is good and He has done amazing things for us. Let's pray together. Father, we stand before You as a people in need. God, we found the end of our strengths. We found the end of our ability. We know that we are frail and we are finite. But in our faith, you beckon us, you call us to come to you, to cry out to you, to fall into your arms. God, it's, it's so easy for us because of our religious imagination that thinks we have to go upward to find you through struggle and travail. We're surprised to find that we're falling downward. We're failing. We're tumbling. Yet over and over again, we find you. You catch us. You encourage us. You bind up our broken hearts. And you restore us. So God, I pray that we would in your time, according to your will, get to the place where, able, where we are able to take all that we went through in this year past. All the struggles, all the fear, all the pain. We're able to take that and offer it to you and to see you transform it into gladness and thanksgiving. God, teach us to treasure the hardship. God, teach us to treasure the time spent in the valley. Because it's in the valley that we find that you are most with us. Lord, I don't begrudge all that happened last year. Yes, I, I hate the cancer. I hate the sickness. I hate the fear. But God, we've seen you in the midst of that, drawing us closer to you, whispering words of comfort and of safety and of promise into our ears. So God, I thank you for that. Lord, I pray that my wife and I, my family and I, we will look back on this terrible, terrible few months and regard it as a time when you were most especially near. 
You are most especially at work in my family's life, drawing us to you. God, I pray that that would flow out of that and into our church family. That that would be a, a restoring uh, moment, a, a beginning point, where we learned in a new way to trust in you, each and every one of us, individually and together. God, be glorified this year. Train our hearts to cry out to you. Place our hope not in our faith, but in your faithfulness. Help us lean not on the promises we've made to you, but on the promises you've made to us in Christ. Lord, strengthen our faith. Even when we're not strong, God, strengthen our faith. I pray for my friends here that have suffered. I pray for my friends here that are even now enduring loss. I pray that your word would speak comfort to our hearts today. That even now, my friends who feel like they're sojourning in the valley of death, that they would find you in a, in a new and powerful way. God, speak comfort, speak healing, and speak hope, we ask. I pray for my friends, too, here that have never followed Jesus, that say, hey, <laughs> life is hard, and I've had nowhere to turn. God, may they hear our invitation this morning that Christ came down the mountain. He absorbed our sin and our death and took it into the deep. He destroyed the grave from the inside out so that we might have life and have it to the full. So God, I pray for my friends, all my friends here, that they would place their faith in Jesus Christ and what He has accomplished for us, for Your glory and for our good. Lord, we make this prayer in the name of Jesus Christ. I know that's kind of a heavy message, and so let's take a moment or two and just sit quietly. Is that okay? Just sit with the Lord. Time of reflection, a time of prayer. If there's someone here you'd like to pray with, I'll sit up here and I'd love to pray with you. But it's good for us to process through and to be honest about what we've carried with us from this year past. Healing awaits. God is at work in this year to come. And I pray that we're all able to join him in that. So take a few moments, and then we'll finish up with some announcements.
Lord Jesus, hear our prayers. A couple of announcements before we finish up today. Uh, Curtis and Kendi, what's the plan for students tonight? Great. Here at the building? Yes. Okay. Uh, kids, uh, thank you for being a part of Kids Focus. I know the puppets really appreciate your, your time with them. Pat, thanks for doing what you do today. Uh, I love it that we have such a, a gifted group of people in the rotation to provide Kids Focus, but there's always room for other people to get involved. If you'd like to be a sub or to get involved in that rotation, see me or see Heather Haynes. Uh, we'd love to develop that ministry. We're also working to uh, develop our kids' uh, resources that we have for families because you know, some kids are able to sit here and focus and color and things like that, but be, below a certain age, it's like having a cat on a leash. It's um, really hard to control, right? Uh, and so we want to work toward having the cry room available where you can listen and participate but have the kids playing. We're also working to get where we have some volunteers staffing the nursery for like two and under. Uh, but for those kids that uh, need a place to play and work out the wiggles, uh, that's what we're working toward. And uh, so. If you'd like to participate and serve in that capacity, great. We could really use it. Uh, we love it when families come, and we want families with young babies to feel especially welcome here. Um, we view the giving of tithes and offerings as an intimate expression of faith and worship, and we want to make sure we provide plenty of opportunities for you to give in that way. So there's two baskets here in the room for you to give uh, cash or check. There's also an iPad at the back where you can give with your debit card. There's also PayPal on our website, and we are working on ways for cashless or uh, touchless, contactless giving from your phone with Venmo and some other options. So those should be coming online, hopefully, here in the first quarter. Uh, your end of your giving statements will probably be ready in a month or so, right, Heather? Oh, they are. If you would like your end of your giving statement for charitable contributions, see Heather Whitford. She can email that to you or print it off for you uh, for 2020. Uh, let's see. Love thy neighbor. We had our food, mobile food pantry this past Friday. Saw uh, just a few people come through. Uh, was a little bit down this month because I think the stimulus checks came through, so not as many people were uh, needing the groceries. But uh, important update. The fourth uh, Friday of this month, we will have our Love Thy Neighbor. But then starting in February, we're changing our day and time so that more of you can get involved. I've had several of you express interest in serving in that way, but you, you work. I don't know why, but you work. But uh, Anyway, we are moving it to the third Saturday of the month from 10 to 11 a.m. here at the church in the back parking lot. So we can have a more robust presence to uh, serve our neighborhood, to bless, to give food, and to pray with people. Really part of that shaping and sending, okay? Uh, we gather to worship to be shaped, but then we're sent out. And our church in this neighborhood, this becomes a really useful laboratory for us to practice spending ourselves in service to others for the glory of God. So third Saturday of the month, starting next month in February from 10 to 11, I hope that you'll get involved in our Love Thy Neighbor program. Shaping and sending, you're going to hear a lot about it, so uh, just get used to it. But it should really become the rhythm that defines how we go about living out our life of faith. Shaping and sending, gathering and scattering. All right, we are engaging this first quarter of the year as a preparation for relaunch. Between now and Easter, uh, the elder team and other leaders in the church, we are really 
imagining and, and preparing for what it looks like for God to begin a new work in us. We struggled last year. God was faithful for sure, but it was a hard year. Uh, we, we suffered in numbers and in giving and really in our missional effectiveness. But that will not define us either. We are looking for the first of April when Easter hits to be kind of a rebirth. Our, our theme will be resurrect us. That in the power of the resurrection, we too will be raised up. That the same power that raised Christ from the dead will raise us too. And that we get to see God do amazing things here in our place, in our time. So will you start praying with me about that? Be praying that God would bring the right people, the right resources, and the right systems that we can put in place. Because we need to develop uh, responsible uh, uh, structures to support discipleship, to, de to support worship, to support our families, and to really effectively reach our neighborhood, our community, and our world. We've got to grow up a little bit, and I want to mature together as we move toward Easter and our Easter relaunch. Cool? Can we virtually stack hands on that? Easter relaunch on three. All right, good job. All right, let's close together uh, and stand and pray as the Lord taught us. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Give us our debts. We forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation. Deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Now may the God of peace, who brought up from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, and ratified an eternal covenant with his blood, may he equip you with all you need for doing his will. May he produce in you through the power of Jesus Christ every good thing that is pleasing to him. All glory to him forever and ever. Amen. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. May the grace and peace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Thanks, everyone. Have a good afternoon.